Hello, everybody, and welcome to Changemakers from Within, a podcast about the everyday heroes who are turning their for-profit businesses into socially responsible workplaces. I'm your host, Rachel Klausner, and I'm the founder and CEO of Millie, a social impact platform for companies of all sizes. Today, our guest is Bayina Black, the Global Sustainability and Impact Manager at RGA. Welcome. We are so excited to have you here. Hi, Rachel. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Bayina hasn't always been involved in sustainability and impact work. After graduating from college, she worked in advertising, and it wasn't long before she found herself in the creative department at Showtime Networks. But in 2011, Showtime let Bayina go, and she didn't take it well. She was devastated. I I had all these expectations of what I thought my life was going to look like. I was embarrassed. But... That feeling only lasted for about two days. And I was like, oh, wait, oh, wait a minute, hold on. I'm still, I'm okay financially. I can go travel the world, I'm young, like I'm gonna do this. It was the best decision I've ever made. And I set out to go to 30 countries before I turned 30. Really happy to say that I accomplished that goal. In 2012, Baina started a YouTube channel where she shared stories from her adventures and tips for traveling on a budget. And today, I'm in front of the world-famous Colosseum in Rome, Italy. Today's travel tip is a quick tip on how you can save money on visiting famous attractions such as this one. Oftentimes, museums and pop- Hello, world. Bane of the Planet Blaster here in Lima, Peru. So summer is basically over and fall is just around the corner. With school back in session, I wanted to share with you my- I'm back in Jamaica. And I came here to get a lot of work done and to get clear but i found out yesterday there's no hot water and there's no wi-fi i knew about the wi-fi then in 2015 she won a competition to become tom's shoes first ever global giver she traveled to la to learn more about the company's giving operation and then to Peru to help distribute over 1,500 pairs of shoes to children who needed them. Hello world, I'm Baina Black, a videographer and travel vlogger. I'm so excited to be going to Peru on a giving trip to see Tom's giving up close. I'll be providing updates from the- Baina spent a lot of her 34-30 journey switching off between traveling and doing temp jobs in the U.S. Eventually, she landed a position at RGA. And it was only supposed to be a temp assignment and then almost four years later, I'm still there. RGA is an advertising agency that Bayina describes as being deeply rooted in tech. We started off as a visual design company. So a lot of the movie openings for like Superman, Ghostbusters, Alien, we actually created those years, years, years ago. And since then, um, we've evolved quite a bit. Our founder, Bob Greenberg, he prides himself on being able to predict the future. (laughs) So every nine years, we would change our position and we just recently changed. It's faster than nine years now, but now in terms of our positioning and our mission, we create and design brands for a more human future. And we have several different departments and arms and forces, if you will, RGA. So we have traditional marketing. We also have a venture studio that I mentioned. We have a content studio. We have a business transformation. So that's our consulting arm. So we do a lot of things under one roof. And we have some of the biggest clients in the world, like Google, Facebook, Uber, Airbnb, and Slack, just to name a few. Bayina started out at RGA as an executive assistant. She later became a production coordinator at the company, then pivoted again to work as an art director. 
In those days, there was no such thing as a global sustainability and impact manager at RGA. That position exists because Bayina had an idea and worked to make it a reality. It all started with an RGA town hall meeting back in February 2017. I remember Bob, who was our CEO at the time and our founder still, he was just bracing us for what was to come for that year. 2017 was a difficult year, not just for RGA, but also for the advertising industry as a whole. A lot of companies were merging together or closing. And I sat there and I was just like, if RGA shifted to focus on conscious capitalism and focus on purpose-driven work and doing good, that would really set them apart. And I had just started, you know? And so where that took me, I, I realized that we didn't have any type of sustainability, impact, CSR, plan, department, strategy, nothing. And it was crazy because I had just came from having this amazing experience at Tom's and, and meeting Blake Monikowski and just learning all about how social enterprises works. And I just felt like it just made sense for RGA. And so what happened next was once I realized that I was going to be staying, because remember, I thought I was just going to be there for like four months, I created a model. At first, it was called a CSR model because I didn't know the breadth of what I know now about sustainability. But it was a CSR model that felt inclusive, that gave people the opportunity to give back and volunteer their time using their skills. And what I did was I created this model and I just kept at it and would show it to anyone who would listen to me and give me feedback and advice. So that's how I got to know a lot of people in our network because RGA, one thing I forgot to mention is that RGA has 15 different offices in about 10 different countries. So we have about 1,500 people. So I got to know a lot of folks that way by just shopping around goodness. And fast forward to 2018, I pitched the model to our now CEO, Sean Lines, and he loved it. He said, we can't not do it. The year uh, after, so last year, 2019, I sent him an update email and I was just like, hey, Sean, like here's where I've been successful in terms of moving forward with the model. Here's where I have challenges. And I was really honest with him in saying that, you know, I thought we would have been a lot further at this point with implementing this model for everybody to give back. And if RGA isn't taking this seriously, then I'm not going to do this here anymore. I'll just fulfill my impact efforts elsewhere. And I was saying that not as in I'm quitting my job, but just like, I'm just going to stop this side hustle of mine because I'm very much an entrepreneur. And I was just like, okay, I'll just focus on being an art director then. And then so about three to four days later, he wrote me back and he said, you know, I hear you, Vaina, do you want to do this full time? And so I was like a bit taken aback and I took a minute to respond back to him. And I thought about it, talked to some of my mentors and my manager at the company. And, you know, long story short, through a very long process, I was able to to create my own title, write the job description, and be able to walk in my purpose and do this great work. Baina describes the Google Slides presentation she used to present the model to her coworkers as the little deck that could. <laughs> my little deck that could came from um, like the little engine that could. And I used to love uh, Thomas the engine when I was little. Um, and and it, it has evolved and morphed and grown. 
and I'm so proud of what it is now because I actually just sold through a piece of the strategy to Sean. You know, when I look at it now to see where it started and and where it has evolved, I'm so proud. I'm like a proud mother. <laughs> you should be. It's amazing. And I think what was so what was so brilliant about using a deck, um, especially at a place like RGA, which is so visual, is that like, oh, yeah. yeah, you need something visual, something tangible, right? Then all of a sudden people kind of start to believe it. Listen, let me tell you something. You can't sell anything in RGA without a deck unless <laughs> you have that high, high, high level of authority, if you will. You gain respect at RGA if you have a beautiful deck, you know what I mean, which is a bit of a downfall as well, because what we have developed as a culture is that kind of what we're trying to move away from, to be honest, is that everything has to be perfect and look good before you share an idea. Right. And because like we make decks, we're really good at decks and case studies, but (laughs) it is my hope that we move away from that and that we can just brainstorm ideas and something beautiful comes and you don't have to have a deck, but it's helpful. Yeah, I do think I do think it's a great learning. Like I think especially for for other folks that are listening that are trying to move the needle in their own companies and start programs. Like I think a deck is actually just a great place to start. It doesn't have to be beautiful, it doesn't have to be perfect. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. just get those ideas out there, make them concrete, make them forwardable, right? You want Yeah. If it's just in a passing conversation or things like that, that's harder to rally people behind. So I think that little nugget of just start with that deck, no matter what it looks like. I think it's just really valuable. And also one thing I want to say before we move on from the deck is that one of the other things that I am known for around RGA is my videos and voice notes. (laughs) And so while, you know, I'm a pretty good writer, I prefer to talk and I love making videos. I used to be a YouTuber, right? And so what I've also done with said deck is if I couldn't get a meeting with somebody or it was taking too long to get on their calendar or we, whatever it was, I would share with them the presentation of me walking through the deck. And so it was a nice way for them to see how excited I was and, you know, explain things without me having to meet with them because everybody's busy and I get that. And I was just like, I just want you to have this information. So here's a video. So that's also another way to spread the message faster is by recording yourself presenting. So can you tell us where does social impact and sustainability, where do you sit within the company structure? I sit in the strategy department and where I feel like I probably should sit is in BT in our business transformation department because that's our consulting arm. And the reason why I say that in terms of the should, and I'm using quotes in terms of should, is because Hannah Jones, who's the former chief sustainability officer at Nike, I took a course this year on corporate sustainability at NYU. And she gave a talk. And one of the questions was like, where should students look for these certain roles or where should they sit within the company? And she said, you should sit in the most innovative part of the company. And so for us, that's BT or ventures, but in this case, BT. And so I'm fine with 
sitting in strategy because it's so interesting because I've gone through, you know, production, creative, and now strategy. And so a lot of the meetings that I've been finding myself in and pitches and also just client meetings or projects in general is from the strategic perspective. It was important for me not to be an HR talent because this role often sits there. And I think it does it an injustice because of how a lot of employees feel about HR in general. I also didn't feel that it should sit in our marketing or comms department because then to me, it doesn't feel authentic. And so I very much like where I'm sitting right now. So for folks that are listening that want to start programs at their companies, any Mm -hmm. tips on how to kind of create urgency in a company to start a social impact program or sustainability program? Oh my gosh, this is so, so, so important because one of the biggest lessons that I've learned during this process is that you have to create a sense of urgency, especially when you're talking about social impact, sustainability, because a lot of times when people hear the word sustainability, they don't relate it to themselves. It might feel like, you know, we're talking about climate change, which in some cases it is, but there are 450 words I've learned to describe sustainability. And you have to make it very relatable to current times and your audience. And so I'll give an example of something that I did just recently when I sold through this strategy. The urgency, I tied it to COVID. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. And so the points that I was making, um, because I was making the argument as to why RGA should provide its creative capital at scale to BIPOC entrepreneurs. And so I shared a stat about COVID and these businesses, and I said 41% of Black owned businesses have had to close because of COVID and Black and Latinx businesses are two times more likely to close because of the pandemic. You know, this is the urgency, this is the cause, lack of resources, not uh, getting PPE loans or uh, grants and not having enough employees, not enough support. And so tying it into a current and very relevant event or topic. So for instance, let's say if you wanted to start something about racism, you know, or the the world's reckoning with racism, something around EDI, um, equity, diversity, and inclusion, tie it back to current events of the protests and Black Lives Matter trending again. And so that sense of urgency really helps people to feel like this is something we need to act on right now and not in the future. Because even though climate change is here and now, and we need to be doing things about it right now, I think that people still have this false belief that we have all this time to fix it and we don't. How do you talk about climate change with a sense of urgency? Well, I'll say I don't talk about it in the ways that I think a lot of other people are talking about it. I drill it down to the current weather changes, any type of flooding, earthquakes, disasters that have happened because they keep happening. And so whenever I'm talking about it, I relate it very easily, unfortunately, to current news that happens every day. And I say that was caused by climate change. I also talk about it in the way of how it's affecting people directly, um, especially when we talk about farmers or businesses, because there are so many businesses that have been impacted by droughts or, or lack of water or resources drying up like crops. And so I'll use those examples to make it relevant. Yeah, It's a crazy time we live in. I feel like this is, it it does feel like we're at the real like 
pinnacle of companies starting to create roles like this, take stances, put resources towards it, but it still feels like we need to help them and help push yeah. from within, you know? And so I think all these nuggets of information that you're giving just around creating urgency and, and your little deck that could, and just kind of convincing and rallying the team around you behind doing good is, is just really important. Yeah. And I, I'd like to say something about that too. Um, so Larry Fink, who is the CEO of BlackRock, right, which is the largest investment firm in the world, he comes out with a letter every year. It's his letter to the CEOs and it comes out in January and his word is gold. And not a lot of people know who he is, but if you work in finance or been in business for a while, you do, but he's an important person to follow. And the reason why is because whatever he says in this letter sets the tone for the rest of the year. And so this year, he very specifically talked about the urgency and the need for companies to do something about climate change and how their companies are impacting climate change. And what he said in this letter, and it's available like online, anyone can read it. But what he said in this letter was that if the companies that BlackRock invest in, which is pretty much like every major Fortune 500 company you can think of, um, that he was going to be taking legal action. And so what he does is he gives the CEOs of this company a heads up beforehand to let them know, like, get your ducks in a row or this is going to happen. So what happens is Larry's letter comes out and then all of a sudden you see all these companies talking about net zero and net neutrality and what they're going to do. Like Delta of all companies talked about, I believe it was, they want to become like net neutral by 2030 or something like that. But you see, it's just like, boom, 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 boom. All of a sudden, everybody's talking about climate change. Where did that come from? You know, it's not a coincidence. And so yes to what you said that we still need to push them. But this is why I bring up stats like 81% of Fortune 5 companies report on their ESG yep. issues. And when I'm talking to our CEO and our executives, I share these things like these other companies are doing this. We need to be as well. Yeah, it's definitely a scary time to be working in social impact because it's so important and sustainability, but it also feels like a great time because it feels like the momentum is there and there are just so many great examples around us to push push folks in our companies forward. Can you tell us a little bit about the focus areas of the impact work you guys are doing? Yes, this is my baby, my work. So <laughs> while I created this model a long time ago, I still thought about equity in every way that you can think of, right? And so with the world reckoning with racism this summer, our CEO, he wanted us to focus on on racial equity. And so we had a meeting and I was like, Sean, what does that mean? Racial equity can mean so many different things. And so he he's so funny because he does this thing where I'll ask him a question and he does it with everybody. And then he'll say, well, what do you think we should do? Right. <laughs> and, and so I was just like, bet. Got it. So I went to work and did my research and due diligence because even though I felt like I had always known, but I was like, let me get the proper research to back me up. And so what we will be focusing on, this is the strategy that I just sold through, is we will be supporting BIPOC businesses, so Black, Indigenous, and people of color businesses using our creative capital at scale. And so because we are an ad agency and we create brands and campaigns and systems for some of the world's top companies, we're going to do that on a smaller scale now for these BIPOC businesses. And we're also 
also going to create a fund to help them with their marketing, employment, and growth needs. And so one of the things that I've learned over the past few years is look at what you already have, right? Look at the resources, the talent, the time, the money that you already have, the things that you already budget for. And if there's a way that you can shift the focus, then focus on that. And are you guys tapping into kind of everyone at the company or it's like a smaller team that's going to be focused on that? So my my goal is uh, to democratize the ability to make impact at RGA. So everybody, because as it stands now, there's only a small team that works on the pro bono work. It's just the way that we scope, you know, and, and by scope, I mean the way that we allocate people to do a job and designate money. So the way we currently operate is it's just like, a, you know, the creatives, the strategists, the producers, and they're the only ones, but we have 1,500 people who want to make a difference. And so what we're going through right now is actually we're going to be doing a hackathon or like a sprint with an organization called Path to 1555 that focuses on helping Black businesses to grow. So they're going to help us to figure out our suite of services for good and design a model that everybody can get involved. I mean, I think it's really important. And also just in terms of probably like company culture and making people really get behind the impact work that you guys are doing at RGA. It feels like obvious that, you know, we should just get everyone involved. Yeah, absolutely. And that was something that was so frustrating for me for a long time because it's also a bit elitist, you know, and it it shows where our value lies that only these people get to work on these projects. And I'm like, no, everyone can make a difference. I don't care if you're the office manager or the cleaning person or the account person, like it doesn't matter. And it also gives us the ability to flex. There are a lot of people who come to RGA for one thing, but that's not what they want to do. And so by, you know, working on projects like this, especially for good, it gives them the opportunity to learn, develop and grow. Of course, the COVID-19 pandemic has thrown a wrench in some of RGA's social impact work. Back in February 2020, the company launched a new initiative to help bridge the digital divide in San Francisco, where RGA partners with the African American Arts and Culture Complex. The complex is located in the city's Fillmore district. They're in San Francisco and they're just down the street from Silicon Valley. And you have all the major tech companies there. Meanwhile, in this section of Fillmore, which is historically black, the residents don't have access to these technologies. The complex has a room called the Light Cipher Lab, which is a space set aside for people to come in and learn about new technologies. Baina helped the lab bring in an award-winning virtual reality experience called Tree. I am such a fan of Tree. It talks about climate change and it takes place in the Peruvian rainforest. And I love that it incorporates sense as well and haptics, so touch and all the things. And it's created by New Reality Co., which is the company of two good friends of mine. And they are associated with RGA. 
they're embedded in our content studio and they provide us our AR and VR needs. And so this journey started in 2017 and we just launched February the 20th. We like cut the ribbon. There was literally a ribbon cutting mm-hmm. ceremony with the mayor's office to open the doors to the lab. And what makes me so proud and just so happy is that we were able to do it because it did take a long time. There was a lot of stakeholders involved and a lot of visits, site visits and communications and stops and starts, but it finally happened. It was it was awesome because Tree has exhibited over 144 places, like it's even gone to Davos and lots of other popular conferences as well. So to bring it there to that arts and culture center was really a dream come true. You know, I get emotional thinking about it now because I'm thinking about like people's faces. A lot of people cry after they do tree and they're just so taken aback and never have even done VR or never done an experience like that. And it really warms my heart to see how excited people were about it. So we brought tree to the AAACC, opened the Light Cypher Lab, and then COVID happened. So, you know, it didn't necessarily work out the way that we had envisioned, but the beauty is that it happened. So can you tell us, obviously this year has been crazy with COVID and I'm sure things have shifted pretty dramatically. Can you tell us about what kind of social impact and sustainability and employee engagement around it has looked like this year for you guys? Yeah. So one of the projects that we're really proud of that came out of RGA is called Merch Aid. And it was created by a small creative team. And basically what they did, this was their response to COVID and businesses closing and struggling. What MerchAid did was they paired designers with businesses in New York and Austin, and they created merch. So they created t-shirts, totes, and posters. And they all sold out. 100% of the proceeds went to the businesses. So we were able to donate over 100K to about 40 small businesses. And it's a really great project, really proud of it. Our London office also created a children's storybook called From My Window. And it is meant to basically like calm children down and explain what's going on with COVID and the fact that they're not in school and inside. We've also raised over $5,000 to feed medical workers, um, the frontline workers in New York City. That was back in April for World Health Medical Professionals Day, I believe it was called, back like April the 8th. So yes, our focus was a lot more on businesses that were impacted by COVID and also wanting to support frontline workers. And we made a pretty sizable donation to the New York Food Bank as well. And that's what I mean about, you know, democratizing the ability to make impact. There are so many people who want to give and do something. And what I do know is that a lot of times they just need some direction on what to do. I know we touched on it a little earlier around how this year has also helped focus RGA's impact and issue areas around racial inequity. What are you guys thinking in terms of that long term? You know, this year has been very tumultuous. How are you thinking about carrying that through beyond this year? So we've been doing like a lot in this area as well. And a couple of months ago, we released a new framework called Make Change. 
and make change is our answer to racial inequities. And we have five different activation pillars. We have make clear, so shining a light on the problem and keep listening. Make right, so identify broken internal processes and fixing them. Make smart, make anti-racist education and conversation a daily invisible practice, which is super important. Make work, use our creativity to take the fight for racial equity outside of our GA, and then make room so mentor the next generation. So Make Change was led by our CMO, Jess Greenwood, and also a small task force. And this was our answer. She did a lot of research and all of them did, but she really dug into this to look to see what other companies were saying, what they were doing. And they all seemed to be saying and doing the same thing. And it wasn't really moving the needle. And so what ended up happening is that we now have a VP of culture and operations and a director of culture and operations too, that specifically works on implementing, make change from an operational perspective. And that might sound a bit strange, but when you want to make change, right, you have to do it from the operational level. It has to be embedded throughout our entire culture. So we did that. We released that publicly as well because we want others to take it on. We also released the last moment of silence statement, basically saying that this is it, like we're not doing this again. You know, we are not going to be posting black squares and having more moments of silence because of the lives that have been lost due to police brutality. And as I mentioned, in terms of like our focus with Make Good on supporting BIPOC entrepreneurs, our main focus is black entrepreneurs. We also created allyship training and program. It was initially created by two RGAers, Mike Alentario and Brandon Hurd for the LGBTQ community, but then they created one with our Black Employee Network specifically for supporting Black employees. So it was required that everyone in the company had to take this training and it's really great. So we're doing a lot of things. And what I always say is we have to keep that same energy, you know, because I cannot tell you like how many people contacted me, asked me if I was okay. They didn't know what to do. And I'm just like, Okay, I hope that you have the same energy two months from now or so, you know, three months from now, a year from now that you continue. And so what RGA has done has uh, we've implemented these different processes, practices, and really trying to embed being anti-racist in our culture. I love that you guys hired people for the roles that you actually talked about. It wasn't just the CMO putting together this vision and these these pillars, but it was also like hiring really senior level folks that were really operational focused. And ironically, they already worked at RGA. So we already had an equity, diversity, and inclusion director, but he ended up leaving recently. And so we were looking at like, what does EDI look like at RGA? It shouldn't fall on one person or one department. That's a mistake that a lot of companies make. And so we actually promoted to people within the company to specifically focus on this. So yes, very, very important. And it also shows that we're making it a priority. So interesting that you guys had team members from within kind of organize the trainings. Can you tell me more about that? That is super unique and special. So we have some really incredible people at RGA and Brandon and Mike When they created the allyship training, they're both strategists, so just brilliant minds, right? And 
they really wanted to create a tangible way and a clear and honest way to become an ally to the LGBTQ community. And so they had already been doing trainings before COVID happened. So then when the world's reckoning with racism happened, I don't want to say that it was easy because it wasn't necessarily easy to shift to focusing on Black people because that was already in the works, actually. But it wasn't like we were reinventing the wheel. There was already some proactivity that was occurring. And so, you know, you can't create something for Black people without Black people. And there was a lot of momentum and action and interest around that. So it was just made a priority. So we had already had it in the works. And it was just a bit further down the pipeline and it just got accelerated with the protest this summer. I mean, it's really, I'm just thinking about it like if I was an employee at a company and, you know, usually someone brings in an outside trainer to train in Mm -hmm. diversity, equity and inclusion and like how we should shift and kind of like all of the, all of the bias training that happens in corporate America Mm And it rarely happens from within. And I think there's something super powerful about how your team was the one to put it together. And I think that's really powerful for the rest of your team to actually feel like, oh, wow, this is this is really about us. And this is like coming from us. And it, it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. And you know what I'll say? Because we did do, this is so interesting now reflecting back on it because I haven't. I've been in it for so long that I haven't even necessarily been able to take a step back and view it the way that you're speaking of. So we had actually done the Courageous Conversations workshop, which is pretty popular. It's been around for 27 years and a lot of companies have done it. And we had done that in February. So right before COVID, right before the reckoning with racism, uh, about 60 employees from all over the network in the U.S. participated in Courageous Conversations, which talks about race in a very exclusive, like just in an exclusive way, meaning that that's all we talk about. We don't sugarcoat it like it's led by a Black person and it was just really mind-blowing because I was one of the participants and I'm so glad. So Yes, to our team created the allyship training, but we also received training before everything happened. So we were already aware. We already had this awareness. And I'm thankful that we were able to have both because it just seemed a lot more authentic when we rolled out some of these initiatives programs and made it more of a priority. The other thing I was going to say too that we're doing is our venture studio. We'll be launching a social equity studio specifically focused on Black entrepreneurs in tech. They're going to have their own accelerator program. So that's another thing that we're going to be launching because when we look at any issue, we look at it very holistically and how does it impact all of the business, not just a part of it. So what's next for social impact and sustainability programming at RGA and kind of what's the 10-year vision? So I'll start from the end in mind, the 10-year vision. I hope that I don't have to have this job. You know, I think that it's the same thing with EDI as well. Everybody says that, like, I hope my job doesn't have to exist. I hope it just becomes a part of the culture. So in terms of the 10-year vision, that's what I hope for RGA, that you don't need a sustainability impact person. It's just embedded into the culture. It's something we already do. And then in terms of what's next for us, we are actually going to be piloting a CSR platform that'll help us to track our giving and make giving and volunteering more accessible. 
And so that's something that I'm going through in terms of like the next phase. So it's like, okay, yes, I've sold through the make good external strategy. So that's what the model is called, make good. And it's in three different pillars, make good inside, make good externally and make good for our clients. And so that middle piece, make good externally is like good to go. We know what we're doing, but make good inside and make good for our clients are the bits that still need some massaging and work on. And so what's great is that we will be moving forward with doing this hackathon to figure out our suite of services for good for the BIPOC entrepreneurs. Something that's actually like due today is the recommendations for the organizations to donate our end of year giving to. And I just see that a lot more people will be able to to use their skills for good and volunteer their time and just become a lot more active and involved in their local and global communities. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being here. This was so fun. This was so, I love this so much. Thank you, Rachel. Like, I I love talking about my work. I truly feel like I'm walking in my purpose. I feel like this is like, you know, you know, so it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Thank you. Amazing. Your story is incredible. I'm sure it's already spinning the wheels of folks that are listening on catalyzing their teams and different programs that they can run and just truly incredible. So I'm so happy you got to do this and thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.